Good evening. It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, May 19th, 2021. My name is Claudio Mendonça, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. A man who appears to have nothing to do with starting a fire in LA's Pacific Palisades area was identified as a suspect by a popular crime reporting app called Citizen. Tonight, the California Report talks with Wired journalist Boone Ashworth about past controversies surrounding the application. Then, Felton Pruitt interviews Nancy Baglietto, Executive Director of Hospitality House, Nevada County Sheriff Shannon Moon, and Grass Valley Police Chief Alex Gamelgard. We close tonight with a commentary by Chaplain Norris Burks. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Four more California counties move into the state's least restrictive yellow tier today. They are Orange, Santa Clara, Santa Cruz, and Amador counties. The yellow tier allows greater indoor and outdoor capacities at businesses, sporting events, and houses of worship. 44% of California's population, or about 17.5 million people, live in yellow-tier counties. Inyo, Plumas, and Yolo counties could get to the yellow-tier by next week if their COVID metrics hold. Just two months ago, by comparison, none of California's counties were in the yellow-tier. With Santa Clara County moving into the yellow tier, officials there are implementing new workplace rules to keep track of the vaccination status of employers. Here's County Council James Williams speaking at a news conference yesterday. This new health order requires all businesses and entities to determine vaccination status of their personnel in the next 14 days. If someone chooses to decline to report their status, they must follow the safety rules for those who are unvaccinated. Santa Clara County health officials are also lifting the mandated work-from-home order as companies prepare to welcome back more employees, with the state reopening scheduled for June 15th. And businesses will not be required to impose social distancing protocols in their workplaces. Cal OSHA Standards Board is scheduled to meet tomorrow to discuss possible revisions to workplace guidelines in the state. One of the biggest changes the pandemic has brought to California's restaurant industry is encouraging the move of a lot of indoor dining outdoors to sidewalks and city streets. Could that change become permanent in some places? The San Diego City Council has voted unanimously to extend rules that allow outdoor dining for another year. The city will use the time to explore ways to make alfresco dining permanent in San Diego. The city, though, says it will be stepping up code enforcement to make sure fire and building codes are better followed by restaurants when they put up outdoor shelters. San Diego's Mayor Todd Gloria says he hopes permanent outdoor dining will make public spaces more welcoming and encourage street life. A man has been booked on suspicion of arson for allegedly starting a wildfire in L.A.'s Pacific Palisades neighborhood that burned more than 1,100 acres this week. But another man, who was initially identified as an arson suspect on the app Citizen, has been released after being interviewed. The app brands itself as a tool for users to report crime in their area. But many criminal justice advocates say it could be a conduit for mistakes and misinformation. Boone Ashworth, who writes for the tech magazine and website Wire, joins us to discuss. Boone, for those who know nothing about it, and I include myself among that group, how does the Citizen app work? Sure. So Citizen is an app on your phone, and it's essentially a hyper-local notification app, right? So it 
tracks your location and knows where you are. And then it monitors emergency scanners like police, fire, medical, and then sends you alerts on your phone uh, to let you know when there's an incident, you know, whether it's a crime or a fire or whatever around you. If you are close enough, the app will also prompt you to pull out your phone and film the incident. And then it live streams that to the other viewers of the app who are also nearby. So have there been concerns that the app, in a sense, conscripts amateurs? It gets, you know, ordinary people to perhaps go into dangerous situations to record something, or they might record like the wrong person or the wrong thing. Yeah. So Citizen is no stranger to controversy. Uh, When they launched, they launched in 2016 as Vigilante. That was the name of the app. And they had to rebrand because of a a public backlash because they were essentially encouraging people to do just that. Right. To rush into scenes and, you know, stop them with the power of their cell phone cameras. Um, So there have been things like this for all the years that Citizen has been around. Um, You know, it's similar critiques to the stuff that you would hear for sites like Nextdoor, you know, stoking anxiety, stoking paranoia, kind of, um, you know, racial profiling and discrimination in the comments and whatnot. So so pretty much, you know, anything bad on the Internet is also on Citizen. And you touched on this briefly, and I assume that the app could really be used for racial profiling in some ways, right? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, To the point where in the early days of Citizen, they had to make a policy change to not describe suspects based on skin color or anything like that, just, you know, maybe clothes or some other less, you know, identifying detail. Citizen also has a moderation team that kind of goes through the comments and takes out some of the really bad stuff. In the time that I've been reporting on them and, and kind of just, you know, passively observing the app, I really haven't seen the comments get much better. I think the sheer volume of comments and people interacting with the app is just hard to keep track of, like with any platform that allows comments. And finally, has law enforcement embraced this app? There's been a sort of mixed reaction from law enforcement. Some places have supported it, you know, as potential ways to get evidence from a crime that has happened. I think that on a whole, especially when Citizen launched, police departments were overwhelmingly against it because they didn't like the idea of people, you know, kind of inserting themselves into these incidents. And also the idea of essentially what is unfiltered scanner information, which is sometimes wrong, just being, you know, sent out there more widespread to the public. So I I think it kind of makes their life more difficult, which sometimes can be a good or a bad thing, depending on your perspective, because it can also be used to, you know, film the police and incidents that are happening. Sure, I'm sure. All right. That is journalist Boone Ashworth, who writes for the tech magazine and website Wired. Boone, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Saul. I appreciate it. In a statement to the California report, Citizen said it publicly posted a photo of the falsely accused arson suspect and a cash reward of $30,000 without formal coordination with the appropriate agencies. The company says that once it realized this error, it took down the photo and reward offer. Citizen says it's working to improve internal processes to make sure this doesn't happen again. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits, stanfordhealthcare.org slash adapting care. Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. 
personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And that is the California Report for this Wednesday, May 19th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. And as always, have a great day. At approximately 1.22 a.m. this morning, the Grass Valley, Nevada City Fire Department, along with Nevada County Consolidated Fire and CAL FIRE, responded to a residential fire in the 700 block of West Broad Street in Nevada City. Upon arrival, personnel found a travel trailer that was 50% involved with fire and was a threat to the wildland as an immediate exposure. During the suppression efforts, personnel were advised that the inhabitant was most likely still within the structure. Once the fire was extinguished, personnel were able to gain entry and locate the victim. It was determined that the resident had succumbed to the fire and was declared deceased at the scene. Fire personnel have concluded a preliminary investigation and will be awaiting forensic reports before determining a final cause. Similarly, Nevada City Police Department will be awaiting toxicology and autopsy reports before concluding cause of death and notifying next of kin. For regional weather, in Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 40 degrees. Tomorrow, a slight chance of showers, then a chance of showers and thunderstorms after 11 a.m. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly clear, with a low around 28. Tomorrow, snow showers likely, mainly after 1 p.m. Some thunder is also possible, with increasing clouds and a high near 40. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, clear, with a low around 48. Tomorrow, sunny, with a high near 73. Hospitality House and its partners recently introduced Peace Officers and Standard Training Curriculum in Nevada County, a training focused on homelessness best practices that is officially available to all law enforcement throughout the state of California. Next, Felton Pruitt talks with leaders involved with that project. We're going to talk with three important members of our community about a new curriculum called Peace Officers and Standard Training, which is known as POST. We're joined by Nevada County Sheriff Shannon Moon. Uh, Shannon, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Felton. We're also joined by Grass Valley Police Chief Alex Gamelgard. Alex, it's a pleasure. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on your show as well. Thanks. And we're joined by Hospitality House Executive Director Nancy Baglietto. Nancy, uh, it's my understanding you kind of spearheaded this or Hospitality House spearheaded this. Yes, there was uh, an innovations grant um, that was a possibility for us to apply for. And um, it was a kind of a unique opportunity for law enforcement to interface with, um, with a homeless service provider. And so we wrote a grant proposal to uh, create a curriculum that would allow for law enforcement to work with our social services staff. And um, we won the grant award and to my knowledge are still the first um, agency of our kind uh, throughout the state of California doing this. And that was a, a year and a half ago, two years ago, this started. Yeah, about two years ago. And it sounds like a, uh, a wonderful opportunity for our community to put all of these resources 
together. How did you figure out who, who gets involved in this? Well, it's kind of um, a short list in Nevada County. I mean, there, um, you know, there's, uh, there's three teams that pretty much work together. And obviously, that's the Nevada County Sheriff's Department and the City of Grass Valley Police Department and Nevada City Police Department. And I just reached out to them. They're all wonderful community leaders. We all work together well. We had a few meetings um, together. We saw the common need and the goal. And then what we did is we um, had the opportunity through the grant to fly to San Diego and meet with the PERT team, the Psychiatric Emergency Response Team in um, San Diego. And we learned a little bit about what they're doing. And that's a general, um, it's mental health uh, in addition to law enforcement. But we were also interested in one of the other uh, pieces of this, which was the homeless piece and um, how this PERT team in San Diego was also incorporating kind of this homeless component, mental health and law enforcement. I think we were all pretty jazzed. We came back from it with a lot of cool ideas, but we also knew that we had to make it very specific to our own community. Nevada County is very special. We have a lot of unique qualities and we wanted to make sure that that was reflected in any curriculum that we put together. Well, it certainly sounds like a very positive uh, collaboration for our community and um, needed collaboration for our community. I, I'm sure that uh, Sheriff Moon and Chief Gamelgard, you, your staff and, and your officers are the ones that are on the front lines every day dealing with the homeless, as well as Hospitality House. But I'm, I'm sure that when you took your jobs years ago, there was a way that you looked at this and then things have changed over the last couple of years. Um, let, me, let me ask you first, Sheriff Moon, how, how are you viewing this now and how has things changed over the years? That's a, that's a great uh, way to put it. You know, when, when I started in this business, uh, it was 31 years ago. <laughs> and to look at what we do now compared to what we did uh, 30 years ago, uh, a lot has changed. And I think a lot has changed for the better on uh, just being responsive and, and listening to what the community uh, needs are for, for very specific communities instead of a broad brush. I think that's, that if that's the the, the, the biggest lesson that I've learned throughout the years is, you know, taking, taking what our services are, that we get very granular in, in, in the grind of what services we provide, but recognizing it has a direct impact on, on the community and, and, and every single call that we, we go on. So I know for, for me personally, when Nancy reached out and said, hey, would you like to be a part of a solution? Uh, what a what a great way in which uh, a nonprofit can can come in and and help us. That they see the need. They they are in the direct service line with with our homeless community, and uh, probably heard stories or even if they didn't hear stories, just just wanting to make sure that uh, we had all the the tools uh, that we could have so that we can again provide a a, a better outcome. Uh, I was absolutely on board and getting to hang out with with Alex and uh, Chad in Nevada City while he was here and, and just just really being able to look at each of our services. And some of them are very similar and some of them are different, but coming up with solutions, I think is, is a, a very important. Chief Gamelgard, uh, let's talk about how policing has changed for you since you've been working in Grass Valley. Well, I don't know if you have enough time, uh, but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think, you know, in the context of what we're talking about here and trying to move the needle on how we provide services and in particular to the homeless population and to other historically marginalized communities, 
you know, it, it's changed a lot. And I think we're going to continue to see it change. And I don't think that we can look at the way we've done business before as any, any type of model of how we should be looking at doing things in the future. Programs and curriculum and training like this is so important to helping make sure our staff is educated, has the best tools and is educated around the best practices of how we want to deliver service. And also that that our staff understands the direction that those of us that are in charge with leading our organizations are, are moving us. And that is influenced by partnerships with organizations like Nancy's at Hospitality House and others and watching the, the trends legislatively and across the country is how we're going to continue to evolve. So I, I would argue that law enforcement has been in the last few years and probably will be in the years to come one of the most progressively changed jobs that people do. And so we're blessed to have good partnerships with our allied law enforcement agencies and even more so with our with our community members and the service organizations doing the kind of work that is uh, able to inform those conversations. We're talking about POST, which is the Peace Officer Standard Training. Could each of you speak to um, how you're going to measure success with this program? And I'll start with Sheriff Moon. Yeah, first, first of all, making sure that all of our staff have the opportunity to go through the course. Uh, uh, a lot of folks did a lot of hard work to, to put this together, to, to provide this uh, wonderful training and, you know, making sure that, that we have that accountability piece on uh, going to the courses. And then, you know, looking at uh, auditing and, and looking at behavior afterwards and, and having those conversations so that it's not just a check the box training, uh, that we actually look at those that that certain uh, outcome out into the community when it comes to uh, having those calls for service with with people that are experiencing homelessness. Chief Gamelgard, how will you measure success with this program? Yeah, the first thing I would echo what Sheriff Moon said is that just ensuring that every single one of our patrol staff that are interacting with people on a daily basis are having consistent local training that is applicable to the work they do and that resources they have available and learning more about themselves. Um, I had the opportunity to go through this two-day training. It's a, it's a big commitment, you know, uh, to sit there away from your other obligations for two days, but I think it was well worth it because it hit on topics from how do you, how do you do de-escalation from a physical mental standpoint and certain ways to do it all the way to um, those empathy-based interviewing skills and emotional intelligence, knowing enough about your own self in order to interact well with others. Um, so making sure that that our folks are going, which we're committed to. And so thank you to Hospitality House. Director Baglietto, what does Hospitality House see as success for the POST program? I will say that one of the things um, has already happened, which is how well we all work together. Um, we're interacting and interfacing with each other all the time, daily. And um, and I think the same thing goes with officers and deputies and case managers. Everybody really kind of works well together. And I think that was part of the first step of building trust, building relationships. Everybody's had a commitment to that in spades. And I do think it is unique to Nevada County. Coming from the Bay Area, I, I, I can assure you that this wasn't uh, common, very uncommon. Uh, so I think that piece of it, the relationship that needed to happen at the leadership level has been really remarkable and something that I'm so proud to be a part of um, the team. I just feel very proud of that. And it's also a diversion to jail. You know, we've talked about a lot of other 
elements to this, but really just, um, you know, for our homeless community, um, sometimes just being homeless is, is a challenge in and of itself, just being on the street and not having a home to go to. And so finding alternatives to jail and uh, trying to use that time to engage in a relationship and build trust over time is really key. Well, I certainly want to thank all of you for joining in in this discussion. We've been talking with Nevada County Sheriff Shannon Moon, Grass Valley Police Chief Alex Gamelgard, and Hospitality House Executive Director Nancy Baglietto. Good luck, all of you. Thank you. Thank you. You can listen to the entire interview on our website, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up next, a commentary by Norris Burks. Hi, this is Chaplain Norris Burks with another version of spirituality in everyday life. Look, there's something you should know about me. I'm a bit OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder. Now, you can take that confession with a grain of salt. It's mostly the people around me who suffer from my OCD. Because in my version, I compulsively note license plates lacking current registration tags. I see them everywhere. Stoplights, parking lots, church picnics. If ever I've stood close to your car's trunk, you can assume I know when your tags expire. To illustrate, imagine I've come to your house for dinner. As the evening winds down, you walk me out onto your driveway. And we stand for a long moment in the shadows of the setting sun to make closing conversation. As I open my driver's door, I stare down at your license plate to see if your tag has expired. Well, no, that's not entirely accurate. I've probably looked before I even walked into your house. Worse yet, if I followed you home, I've probably already noted that your right brake light is out and you consider the use of turn signals to be optional. Despite our pleasant dinner conversation, I've labeled you a scofflaw, something the Oxford Dictionary defines as a person who flouts the law, especially by failing to comply with a law that's difficult to enforce effectively. Now my OCD is kicking my insides, and I'm wondering how to confront you. I want to say, hey, scofflaw, why don't you pay your car taxes like the rest of us? But remembering my ordination vows require a more pastoral approach, I compose something less presumptive giving you the benefit of the doubt. Oh, uh, wow, I think your car tags may have been stolen. It happens. That's why my OCD demands I follow AAA advice to score mine with a razor, giving the thief useless pieces. My whimsical approach today serves as a pretext to remember what Jesus said in that Sermon on the Mount. Listen to that excerpt from the modern New Testament paraphrase version called The Message. Hey, don't pick on other people or jump on their failures or criticize their faults unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. If you wipe that ugly sneer off your face, you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. Sadly, the teaching confronts me with the fact that I rarely inspect my own life, much less my vehicles for lights, tags, or tires. Alas, the only thing I can control in my life, or in this pandemic for that matter, is myself. I can't keep my neighbor from going maskless or make her get a vaccine. The only legitimate way we exercise influence on each other is to let our light shine on our own shortcomings. If I want to influence you in a positive way, I should make sure my tags are current and my lights are working well. I should do my best to provide positive reasons why you shouldn't be an idiot. Oh, whoops, sorry about that last one. But fortunately, that's pretty much the only OCD issue I have. 
Wait, I, I might have another compulsivity. Did you notice how I readjusted the serving spoon in the mashed potato bowl during dinner? I really can't stand it when it's pointing at me. But that's the only one. Well, maybe I have another one. Three, four tops, but maybe I have... My list, along with my time limit, has expired. This is Chaplain Norris Burks with Spirituality in Everyday Life. Please contact me by email at comment at thechaplain.net. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. That's our newscast for tonight, Wednesday, May 18th, 2021. For their support, we thank The Pizza Joint, offering New York-style pizzas by the slice or pie, cheese or meatball manicotti, and more. Open daily, takeout or curbside pickup for social distancing. Commercial Street, Nevada City, thepizzajointnc.com. Stay tuned. The Sages Among Us is next, and at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now!, Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting Community Radio. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a great night, and I'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.